This episode is brought to you by First Response. First Response recognizes that not all pregnancies are the same and neither is the road to get there. The First Response brand is fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and providing accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. With a variety of tests that detect pregnancy hormones early and often, First Response is there for you every step of the way. All First Response pregnancy test products are available for purchase at all major retailers in-store and online. Be sure to pick one up today. A quick note before we get into the episode, Oversharing is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical or psychological advice. Always seek the advice of your physician or mental health professional. Hello and welcome back to Oversharing. I'm Jordana Abraham. And I am Dr. Naomi Bernstein. What's up? How's everything? Happy Monday. I feel rested. Jeff and I went away alone this weekend. Oh, wow. So that was really nice little treat. We haven't done that in a long time. Where'd you go? We went to a tiny little town about an hour and a half away from us called Granbury, Texas. It was just simple. There was a little lake there. There's like a shopping, like a town square that you walk around and restaurants and little shops. It was literally just to get away and have some peace and quiet, but it was a, a cute little trip. That's really nice. Parents yeah. weekend away. Love it. Totally. It was really nice to just have uninterrupted conversation, like so much, you know, like right. we, we always get interrupted in the middle of trying to talk about something so that it was nice to get to that point where it was like, wait, I think we're like caught up. Like, I think we're done having, right. like there's nothing left here to say, you know, no distractions. I mean, there, was, there was like obviously plenty of time, but it was nice to even just like be able to sit in silence and like enjoy each other and not have to be going through the to-do list and all the stuff coming up and like all the plan. It was like, we did all that. We had time for all that. And then we just chilled. So it was really nice. That's great. I'm at the phase where we have so much togetherness time because there's no kids or anything where sometimes we're like, okay, I think we already talked about that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Now you do get to the point where you're like repeating a story or saying something, you know, we've been married for, you know, 13 years. So, right. You know, you tend to hear some of this stuff over again, but it's just, it's nice to get to that point almost to have enough time to get totally caught up on all the thoughts and feelings and emotions of everything that's been going on in our life that then we're just like, okay, now we can just be together. Yeah, it definitely helps you feel more connected. I'm sure. Yeah. So that was great. It wasn't, you know, Park City where you were, which looked amazing. <laughs> that looked so nice. It was really fun. It was just like a couple of days. We did a hike, did some massages, just had some nice dinners. It was like a nice little trip. It was just Friday to Sunday, but it was very, very nice. I had some issues though. I thought it'd be good to maybe for the listeners or for myself. I've been having a lot of trouble sleeping lately and I've been trying like sleep meditations, but they're not like fully... Do you ever just like try to sleep and there's no like particular reason Mm -hmm. in your mind, but you just can't. That's one of the most frustrating things I think in existence. Like the, uh, the feeling of like, I just want to be able to sleep. I want to not be up, but I can't figure out how to get over it. Your body just feels like a little activated, like more, or your mind, I guess is the difference. Maybe your body's even relaxed, but like your mind feels activated. Did you feel like you had random racing thoughts or was it just like, I did. I think it was a little bit of both, but then I would like take myself out of them 
but then they would come back. It's like, I'm trying, you know, you try to remove the thought or just like, again, do the, I think we talked about this, like the counting sheep thing or the whatever thing. But then it's just kind of like, sometimes if you try to do that for so long, then you're just like annoyed that you're trying so hard. Totally. And then it's not working and you're still up and then you see the clock like inch up in time. And then you're like, that almost, you know what I mean? The idea that the, the time is passing makes you more frustrated and probably less able to, to fall asleep than right. the other way Well, around. did you have stuff that you were having to wake up for or you were on vacation so you could just like sleep if you wanted to? I was, but then eventually it was like, I don't know, it was like 8, 9 a.m. And I'm like, well, I'm not, it doesn't seem like it's happening for me. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh, that's really, yeah. that's a lot. That's like really right. late. Which is almost worse because then you're like, I didn't even need to be up, but now I'm like, it's too late. What am I going to have a full night's sleep at Right. At 8 a.m. I'm going to sleep till like two o'clock in the afternoon now. Right. That is very frustrating. I, you know, I think, and again, this is the hardest part of it. It's almost sort of, we've touched on this before the idea of like acceptance, like accepting where you are, like not resisting life in general. And I think sometimes for sleep, and this is like I say, it's hard to do if you have like an 8 a.m. meeting where you're like, I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to be like a zombie in the morning and this is horrible. Like I need to get some sleep. So the first thing you can do is, and I tell this to my kids sometimes when they can't sleep, you know, like Lila will be like, I'm going to, cause she's very conscientious and she's like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to be able to pay attention at school tomorrow. I'm going to be so tired. Like I can't get to sleep and I'm oh, going to be exhausted. Worried, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, look, and this is the truth of it. The worst thing is going to be like the 10 minutes that it takes you to like, let's say you did have an eight o'clock meeting to pull yourself out of bed. You're going to, you're going to feel like nauseous and horrible and it's going to be the worst thing. But like once you're up and you're moving and you're at the meeting, if it's an important meeting, you're not going to be like sleeping in the meeting. Like you're going to be fine. And even, you know, like there's almost this buildup in your head of how horrible the next day is going to be if you don't get sleep which because, makes it worse. Yeah. Right. Because you have that 10 minutes where it really is pretty horrible. Like if you felt the way you felt when you're first pulling yourself out of bed, if you finally get to sleep or whatever it is, or throughout the day, maybe you have a moment where you're like extremely tired. Like that one terrible moment is not worth all the power that you give it throughout the night when you're dreading that moment. It's almost like if you could just accept that you're not sleeping. Or I say to her, okay, you'll, whenever you fall asleep, you'll fall asleep. And if in the morning you're a little tired, like eventually you're going to get that second wind and you're going to get through it. We create this monster of what the next day is going to look like if we don't fall asleep, I think is mm-hmm. a big part of it. So instead of doing that, just kind of doing, I know you said you try meditation, but it's almost like I'm doing this meditation to fall asleep yeah. as opposed to I'm going to do this meditation to like enjoy this, actually enjoy this moment of like lying quietly in my cozy bed. You know, I'm on vacation or if your partner's next to you or they're not, whatever it is, just enjoying this moment of relaxing in a comfortable space with a comfortable pillow and just enjoying it as if that was the vacation, right? As if like Mm -hmm. you were there to... If someone said, okay, I'm going to bring you into this room. This is the activity for today. We're going to lie in this bed awake and enjoy the sounds of the room and the texture of the sheets. And maybe you can play some music and just lie there and listen to the music and just make it into more of like, I'm just going to relax into this moment and enjoy this quiet moment instead of needing it to be different than what it is, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
No, I see what you're saying. I mean, except yeah, not the non-manipulation, just accepting where you're at thing is so much easier said. I don't know. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. If you can calm your body, that helps, right? If you can just mm-hmm. get your body to calm down and just kind of being like, look, I'm just lying here now. Like, I don't even need to fall asleep. You right. know, I'm just going to lie here. And the worst case scenario, I'm like a little groggy in the morning. Like, is that worth all the dread and power that I'm giving it right now? Yeah. You know, I guess secretly the idea is that you calm down enough and enjoy it enough and get out of your head enough that you can fall asleep. But usually, like, I'll say to Lila when she gets, you know, upset about not being able to sleep, I'm like, you've never in your life, and I'll like pull out my calculator and look at how many days, how many nights of sleep she's ever had. And I'll say, you've never not slept and fallen asleep at all, ever, any night. So tonight's not going to be the first night that that's going to happen. I mean, for you, if you were really up at nine o'clock in the morning, that's like, well, it's kind of like, I don't know, like you're in and out, your eyes are closed, you're not fully sure. I know I when you're you not even sure if you sleep. part of it. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. It's just like it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess, in that in that way, too. Totally. Totally. But I think when you can't sleep, part of it is just like accepting that I'm not sleeping and maybe trying, like sometimes I'll think of the analogy, like um, remember that scene in Forrest Gump? You saw Forrest Gump, right? Yes, yes. Where the two, the soldiers are like sleeping in the rain, like leaning up with their backs against each other. Like, yeah, they're both like trying to sleep. And it's like this muddy battlefield in Vietnam with the rain falling down. And I'm like, if they got into your bed in that moment and you, they switched places with you, they would just be enjoying like the air conditioning and being clean and nice fresh sheets and just kind of putting it into perspective, like how beautiful your sleeping I know. arrangements are but that almost makes it more annoying that you can't sleep it's like i'm fully set I'm you know even, what I mean? right i'm not even being grateful for this right or it's no or it's just like there's no reason i shouldn't be able to sleep like i have you know what i mean i'm in a comfortable room i have alone i have like the darkness and the whatever setup right. it is that's almost like okay i've set it up i've done everything right i'm in the exact right place now it's like I'm just lying in this comfortable bed, unable to get right. there. Totally. No, I get it. But I mean, not even saying like sleep, but just like, I'm just going to lie here and enjoy this. Right. Breathe. There's nothing really bad. It's like, a, it actually is a microcosm for mindfulness in general. Like there's nothing bad going on except for your expectation of what should be different in that moment. Yeah. Or your fear of what is going to happen if something's not different. Yeah. That's definitely the the part that, it's tough to get over, but you're right. There's nothing in your head that's actually, there's nothing in the actual moment that's actually terrible. Right. It's your just projections of the future and your projections of like what it should be like and why yes. like it should be different than it is. But it's actually a perfect, yeah. you know, microcosm for a lot of the stuff we talk about, which is like, okay, this moment isn't bad. Why do I need it to be different? I don't really need it to be different. That's my tip from a distance. But I will say that when you can't sleep, it is difficult to get out of that rut. So I do validate that feeling, especially if it feels like it's literally all night till nine o'clock in the morning. That's a long time to be lying mindfully in one spot. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I could definitely see that. Yeah, it's just frustrating, but I guess um, this too shall pass. Yes. As they say, yeah. Was it last night that you couldn't sleep? Or are you feeling tired today? No. Last night I took a Unisom because I got back to my bed. And I was just like not chancing it. Do you know what that is? Unis- it's like a... Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a Tylenol PM minus the Tylenol. Basically, yeah. That's my, I guess, 
I did two nights of the, I'm going to mindfully let it happen. And then I was like, forget it. I like, uh, I'm going to, I need to sleep. Yeah. All right. Hopefully you reset yourself. You'll be back on a good cycle. I hope so. It was a great night's sleep with that. But then I'm now judging myself for taking it. But like, no, sometimes you you need to reset. I wonder if there's like an altitude issue. Are you feeling like unwell? That could have been it. It might have been like the breathing is harder, I think, up there. So that probably, that might have been part of it. Plus the time difference. Part of me is like, that sounds like nice, fresh, beautiful mountain air. And like that, that would it's be nice like during great. the day, but it yeah. is, it is harder to breathe up there. I think because yeah, maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of it. A little drinking probably doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yesterday was good. I, I wonder if I could have done it without that. I just like, wasn't in the mood to, to see. Right. <laughs> like, I, wasn't in, I wasn't in an experimental mood. Right. You're like, I'm not taking my cold shower today. I am yes. just going to take my nice warm shower and relax into sleep. Exactly. But I was there with Sammy, a Betches co-founder and um, oversharing listener. And she said she had been trying your your shower trick and Ooh, it was really helping did her. She, did She's she been like doing it? it a lot. Yeah. She likes it a lot. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so happy. That's yeah. great. I'm not going to ask you about yours because I know you had a rough weekend of sleep. <laughs> Thank you. We'll, we'll I was thinking <laughs> I was thinking while I was there, I was like, uh, I could do this here. I got a nice hotel shower. And then I was yeah. like, forget it. Forget it. Yeah. We'll check back in next week. I'll give you another week. Try it again. But this Thank time, you. so I, I texted you over the weekend or last week and gave you a more specific assignment, which was make the water colder than what's comfortable and take 10 yes. deep breaths. So it makes it a little bit more like specific on what I'm asking you to do is stay in there for 10 deep breaths, breathe into the discomfort and see if you can just tolerate that as an exercise and like relaxing into discomfort. So I'll give you another week to try it. We'll check back in next time. Maybe I'll try it this week. I hope so. If you're like me and your CD organizer was filled with, now that's what I call, discs that your dad literally burned for you, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins Multi-Active Cream to your daily routine. I have been using the Multi-Active Cream for a few weeks now, and I can already tell the difference. This cream does it all. It makes my fine lines and my pores look smaller, and my skin actually feels hydrated, which is really important for these like in-between seasons. I actually love all of their products. I'm a huge Clarins fan. I've been using them for years. You've been adulting a while, so the daily stress of trying to keep your life together can cause stress aging. Yeah, it's a thing. The good news, Europe's number one skincare line has a solution you can trust. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and C. holly bio-extract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While Multi-Active Cream can bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can de-stress your skin. Go to Clarins.com slash oversharing and get Multi-Active Day and Night Cream for 10% off, a free welcome gift, plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash oversharing with promo code oversharing. Clarence.com slash oversharing with promo code oversharing. Let's get into some emails. Okay. I liked a bunch of these. These were good. Should I read the first one? Yes. Hi, I love the show so much. Thank you for all that you do. I'm writing in with a relationship issue I've been having. I've been together with my boyfriend for a little over a year and we are both 30. And things are very serious. We've been talking a lot about moving in together soon and getting married in a few years. There are so many aspects of him that I love very much. 
He makes me feel loved every day. There's never a day where he doesn't tell me how much he loves me or how beautiful he thinks I am. We have a lot of fun together. He makes me laugh. He's secure and stable, and he's very emotionally intelligent. From the beginning of our relationship, we had no problems telling each other everything and having deep conversations, which I love. That sounds great. Now here's the problem. (laughs) He has a bit of a temper. He knows this, and he's gone to a lot of therapy to make it better. He's told me in the past it was significantly worse, and he's proud of how far he's come. Well, I didn't know this past person, so I can only take what I'm experiencing. From what I can see, he gets very easily overwhelmed in situations that I don't see as necessarily overwhelming. And when he feels overwhelmed, he has a tendency to get sensitive and somewhat angry. It's not that he calls me names or yells loudly, but he turns into a totally different person than when he's in a good mood. He'll mumble swear words, get really agitated and get visibly irritated by anything I'm doing, whether I'm trying to help or just trying to move on. I really hate these moments, and I would even say I hate him in these moments. It makes me worry what it will be like when we have kids and every day is stressful and overwhelming for him, as is the nature of kids. Will I feel like I'm parenting alone or parenting him as well as my kids? I'm nervous to have kids in general, and it worries me that I'll feel even more stressed while dealing with this, with his up and down emotions. I know that no partner is perfect, but sometimes I wonder if this is too big of an issue for me to just accept. He does plenty of smaller things that bother me like any spouse would do. Sometimes he talks too much about himself. He's messier than me, etc. But those things feel much more easily acceptable to me. When he's in a good mood, he is truly my favorite person on the planet. But when he isn't, his temper spikes my anxiety. I'm a very anxious person and very sensitive to the emotions of others around me. And I can't help but wonder if maybe someone like me should be with someone more even keeled or slow to anger. Thanks. What do you think? This is a great question. And it's interesting on a few levels. First of all, I think she needs to figure out if he's continuously working on his anger or if he's sort of like, I've worked on it, I'm done working on it, and this is as good as it's going to get. Right. Because that's very different. You know, I see therapy and anger management and mindfulness and all the stuff that we talk about in terms of making changes and self care as ongoing. You know, it's not something I always say it's the same thing as like exercise. You can't be like, okay, I exercised for the last five years. Right. And now I'm done. Now I'm done. Yes. (laughs) And and it doesn't work like that. Yeah. And it's the same thing for all of these emotional issues that come up. It has to be something that he's willing to say, this is going to be part of my daily routine is doing some type of work on my anger management, whether it's I mean, I obviously would recommend a daily meditation practice. I think that would significantly decrease his moodiness and anger episodes and just make him more mindful of what's happening. So I would say a big piece for her to decide if if he's unwilling or he's like, this is as good as it's going to get. I agree. She should be concerned because life is going to get harder. And there's going to be, if they have kids, little people around that are a lot of times not within your control, their moods, their behaviors. And so if he has trouble being overwhelmed, I do think this is going to be an issue. But I also think that it sounds really great. The rest of the relationship, really, really great. They talk to each other. The way she describes it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds really great that I wouldn't throw the whole thing away as long as he's willing to make a constant practice out of working on this and be aware of how, you know, badly it affects her. Yeah. I think it comes to, I agree with everything you just said. I think that's a very accurate assessment of the situation and like what his view about it is and how he reacts when she expresses this concern to him. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very fair 
concern to have about the future and about the way that they deal with that. And I mean, she probably would have to accept that, that he's never going to be a super even killed guy when he's in a bad mood. Like I believe like there's, uh, there's obviously a spectrum of behaviors. She's a lot more to one side than she wants him to be. She could probably get him more towards the middle. Right. But if you're looking for someone who's never going to get irritated or, or mad, it's probably not this guy. Right. But if she has some tolerance for that, it's just, she needs it. To, like she gets in her head. could also think like, what would be acceptable to me? Even if totally. it isn't the, my ideal perfect thing. And then like, can he get to that point? Like this part, I don't, this part is unacceptable to me. The way he reacts now is unacceptable. Somewhere along the spectrum, there's going to be a, a point where it's going to be good enough for her expectations. And right. then I think probably having a very specific sense of working towards that. And then the other thing is like, I agree. She said she like every other aspect is great. And she seems to really like love him. And now, you know, he's, it's interesting because she said he loves, he says, tells me he loves me every day. He seems like a passionate person. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Sometimes you can't, they go together. You yeah, know? totally. And I mean, I have, it's funny. I have like this in the almost opposite way with Mike is my husband who I often feel like is not passionate enough. But one thing I love about him, he's very go with the flow. He's not easily irritated. He rarely gets very upset or mad or has like oh, his mood overtaking, overtaking him. And so I've complained to my therapist that I don't think he's passionate enough. Right. So it's kind of, you know, every great quality usually comes with its own opposite or not opposite, I guess, similar, like irritating aspect of that same great personality trait. Right. And I remember totally. saying, I remember my therapist saying to me, like, yeah, like you could, of course you could find someone who's more passionate, who writes you love notes every day, who says, you know what I mean, is, is showering you with compliments and affection, but they might not have that other thing yes, or that other, you know, that they might again, be more easily irritable or upset, or they might have this other quality that goes along with that. And so it's really just about like your tolerance for what their bad quality is. Totally. I agree a hundred percent. I do think that there's passion on both ends of this and you can try to get his anger and irritability level to a place where you feel like it's acceptable. But the one thing, and I agree with everything you said, I would not marry someone that still has, you know, major changes that you'd like them to make, because then you're setting yourself up for, you know, just this challenge in the relationship where you're not accepting the person for who they are. I think you do need to make it clear that this is something that's upsetting and see if he's able to make the changes that you need. But I think it's, asking for trouble when you're pretending to accept something that you really don't accept before right. you get married. Cause that probably only gets more annoying yes. the longer you're with someone. If yes. it's, if you have the seeds of it in there, but I don't, I think that's probably something that someone can work on if they really want to. And it can see, easily see improvements if they see someone and are actively trying i would imagine right especially if he you know I, I mean ideally he does it for himself but if he realizes that this is going to make his life better and his relationship better and it's a deal breaker for her i think he could probably do it and like i always say it's really not a lot of this stuff has it doesn't i mean i say it's simple but it is pretty powerful if you take 10 minutes a day to be mindful and meditate and just be aware of your mind and body and your emotions, it will make all the difference in the world. I mean, people spend an hour a day exercising. So you can spend 10 minutes a day. And that's really, I think, what it would take for him to become more aware 
of how he's reacting to things. And I think she'll, both of them will see a huge difference. So yeah, I agree with that. I do think that, you know, she's going to get the passion, which is great, but she's going to get it on both sides. You know, the other hard part about this, and some listeners might say, like, run, get out of there. You know, like if he has anger issues now, it's only going to get worse. But I, I think sometimes anger is less socially acceptable than say like anxiety or even depression, you know, like when someone isn't has trouble managing their anger, obviously because it can be dangerous and it's affecting other people, but there's more likely this thing of like, I'm out Mm -hmm. versus if we were getting this email from someone who said, well, my boyfriend is very anxious. And like a lot of times he doesn't want to go to social situations or he's, um, you know, just quiet and withdrawn or worried about things or neurotic. It's almost like that's a little bit more of an acceptable, you know, socially acceptable, yeah. Socially acceptable problem to be working on than anger, which I get because anger can hurt other people. But it's interesting. And I, I do think if he's, she says he's emotionally intelligent. So if he's willing to work on this, I think it would be worth a shot. I agree. I think you're right. And she can assess again, what that, what success or an acceptable level of this negative quality she's willing to to take and then see if they can get there before, like you said, making any major commitments right. to totally. each other. Just to make that a little bit more specific for her. And we talked about this once before, like sometimes if someone has these negative behaviors, you can like write down a note of how often it's happening. Sometimes it's hard, you get lost, you don't know if you're overreacting. Is, did this really just recently happen or not? you know, make a note in a calendar or something like, okay, he got into one of these moods on this date. And then you can see, okay, it really has, he really hasn't done this in like three months. And maybe Mm -hmm. him like being in a really bad mood every three months feels okay. If he was in a really bad mood today and he was in a really bad mood like three days ago, maybe that to her feels like I can't live with that. So sometimes it helps to just be able to see it out in front of you of like how often this is really happening versus how often it feels like it's happening. I mean, look, you have to trust your gut. If it doesn't feel good and it feels like it's too much, then it is too much. So maybe even once every three months is too much. But sometimes it's helpful to have like an objective data points, data points of like how often this is really happening. Yeah, I agree with that. Keep a little little journal recording his. Um, his. <laughs> check the box uh, dollar in the swear jar <laughs> right you know it sounds a little sort of like sneaky and manipulative or whatever but i think it's more just for her to kind of realize and maybe she'll even realize okay this is happening like every three days like this is yeah. not okay you know yeah it's another way of being mindful of something is writing right. it down exactly that's fair yeah this show is sponsored by better help we all carry around different stressors big and small When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I've been to therapy for many years, and I have to say, whenever I'm going through something really tough, therapy is the way out for me. It helps me like break down the issue, get to the heart of it, and figure out ways to cope with whatever is stressing me out. Nothing has transformed my life quite as much as my therapy experience. I can't recommend therapy enough, and BetterHelp is a great way into it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Overshare today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Overshare. Spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up. Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, tap into your power, and get ready for summer. I take their yoga classes at least twice a week. I also love their core classes. I love that I can take it anywhere I go. If I'm traveling, I can always do a class. You can filter the classes by ones that don't need any equipment. I'm looking to get healthy. I'm looking to like feel good. And Peloton just makes it so easy. Peloton accommodates your schedule with a variety of class lengths to choose from. Even if you only have five minutes, Peloton has classes for you giving you the flexibility you need to move your body. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and mood. If you can't run, take a walking class. If you want to level up, go to their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Or try yoga if you just need to ground yourself. Move at your own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take the guesswork out of working out so you can jump right in, keeping your fitness journey fresh every day. Peloton has everything you need to get where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get a head start on somewhere with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All right, should we do another one? Yeah, do you want to read the next Betch Assist email? Yeah, let's do a Betch Assist. Okay. Dear Jordana and Dr. Bernstein, I'm a big fan of everything Betches and have especially been enjoying the Oversharing podcast. I was hoping you could provide some advice about an ongoing situation I've been having with my friend group. My group of closest friends consists of four other girls I met in college. We're now in our late 20s. We were all roommates throughout college and have remained close ever since, despite all moving to different states after graduation. Because of our geographic distance, we all stay in touch through our group chat, occasional Zoom calls and individual phone calls. Recently, I've been struggling with the direction that these catch-up phone calls have been going. It seems like no matter which friend I'm speaking with, the conversation goes something like this. We briefly catch up on each other's lives, career, relationships, family, etc. And then somehow the conversation always turns into gossiping about another girl in the group. This quote-unquote gossip isn't ever anything truly malicious, usually just commentary on that person's relationship, wedding plans, critiquing something they may have made (laughs) in the group chat, etc. The conversation always ends with something like, but we love so-and-so. I hate to talk bad about her. Shamefully, I used to live for the gossip, but as time has gone on, I find myself feeling really bad about myself at the end of these conversations. I genuinely love each one of these girls and absolutely hate the idea of any one of them finding out that they were being gossiped about. I find myself wondering why the conversation seems to always go down that road. Part of me feels like since we rarely have spent in-time, in-person time together in the years since graduation, we really only get together as a group for big events like weddings and bachelorette parties. Aside from reminiscing about the past, we have run out of things to talk about. So my question is, how can I resist the temptation to gossip about my friends and how can I put a stop to it if someone else starts? How can I keep my relationships with my friends close, both as a group and individually, when we don't really have opportunities for shared experiences? We've tried to plan a girl's trip several times, but life always seems to get in the way. I ultimately just want my interactions with my friends to be more positive. I worry that if the quote-unquote exciting parts of our chats are taken away, our conversations will become stale and boring. I would appreciate any advice or input you have. Sincerely, can't stop gossiping about my friends. This is an interesting one. I've definitely felt uh, relatability there. Totally. I think gossiping, part of it feels very natural. 
Yeah. You know, I, I read something like a, you know, social evolutionary psychologist that say that gossiping is almost like a leftover form of social interactions that help to keep social order. So almost instead of, if somebody's like going out of line, doing something that's unacceptable to the group, it's a less aggressive way of getting them to step in line than addressing them directly. So like you gossip, then they see looks, they see that everyone's talking about them, they check themselves, they're more aware of their behavior, and then they kind of step in line and the social order is maintained. Unfortunately, it does have a functional aspect. Yes, it's sort of, (laughs) I mean, I think it had a functional aspect. I don't think we really need that anymore in, in our society today, but it's almost... Well, yes and no. If someone's acting truly like heinously, I think it's probably helpful for them to feel some sort of social repercussion of that. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that is true. I mean, I think what they're talking about here is not that. I think it's just like, but I think there's like this (laughs) leftover evolutionary urge. One, like I said, to kind of keep social order. And two, there's like a bonding thing that happens with it, where you feel like kind of closer to someone when you can have these shared emotions about something that's not the two of you. Like it's mm-hmm. when it's shared emotions about the two of you, it sometimes can feel either like too intense or too vulnerable or too like maybe there's a chance for conflict. But when you can have shared emotions about a third party, it feels sort of like we're connecting, we're having these shared experiences, but it's very non threatening because it's about somebody else who's not here. Totally. And sometimes, I mean, like, you could do that about anyone. Sometimes it's like you're talking, you're gossiping about like the latest Real Housewives episode and which character on that was, was acting crazy. And that seems almost like less rude because you don't know the people. Like if you're gossiping about celebrity tabloid stuff, like that seems more socially acceptable because they don't, I guess, think they're your friend. Right. I think, I mean, in some ways, it's perfectly designed to like be an outlet for that urge to gossip without hurting anybody because the people that are on those shows are putting, it's almost like they're doing this public service of putting themselves out there Mm -hmm. for the world so everybody can get all their gossip urges out on them. Like they know what they're getting themselves into. It's almost like they're asking for it. So I think that's a better way of doing it than doing it with this friend group where nobody wants to be spoken about, especially negatively behind their back. Totally. And I think there are some instances where it can be helpful if the person is a mutual friend and gets what the other person is like, especially if let's say you have a negative interaction with someone. I think gossiping about like, like talking shit essentially about like someone's wedding or like something like something in their life that's going on. Like that feels a lot more rude than like um, this person said this thing to me which made me like, and or this person did this thing or is acting this way. And sometimes in your own head, you're like, was that messed up? Should I feel like insulted or, or like, or I felt like you feel a little weird about it. And then sometimes you run it by the other person to sort of gauge whether or not you actually feel like you should be like that is validated. Right. I think it's a slippery slope. I, hear I what agree. You're saying. I agree. Yeah. But I think if you did it with like real introspection and like a a heart towards like introspection and awareness and like to better your relationship with that person, Mm -hmm. maybe that would be okay. But I think a lot of times it's just you're looking for someplace to vent 
you're looking for someone to validate you. And it could very quickly turn into a little bit of like a shit talking session. So I think if you did that, I think if you're going to do it, you have to do it very mindfully and intentionally. Otherwise, it ends up being like this. I could see why it's not feeling good to her. And I I give her a lot of credit. I like this writer. She's writing in about something that's sort of altruistic, you know, like most people write in about their like immediate personal problems. So I love the fact that she asked this because she's looking outside of herself, trying to be a better person, trying to almost see how she can inject some positivity into her friendship group. I get how that could happen, especially because they are all long distance. So they're not having the excitement of like, we went out last night together and right. let's recap the night. And who did you, you know, who were you crushing on and who, you know, what happened? They don't have that excitement of being in person together. So I do think this is happening probably exactly as she said, from a lack of excitement in the conversation. So one thing I can recommend is see if there's an opportunity for a little bit more vulnerability and depth here in the conversations. You know, like a lot of times you don't, like, I I feel like maybe there's a block here and they just like skip through, like when they're doing the recap, they're just doing like the logistical recap. I wonder if they were go a little bit deeper into how they feel about career, how they feel about their relationships, like how they feel about family versus just like, okay, you know, here's the details of the story of what happened that might Mm -hmm. provide a little bit more excitement in the conversations because they're getting a little bit deeper. So I think if you're going to have these long distance friendships, it's hard if you're not digging deep and you're not being in person together. I could see why the gossip is a, you know, a way that makes them feel like this is fun and exciting and kind of motivation to keep it going. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's, I mean, if you could try to focus on those things or being more vulnerable, which again, is I get, I get is hard to do on the phone. And she's saying it's hard to get everyone together for these other trips. But you could also do that on a, on a lower level. It doesn't have to be like everyone in the group goes on these trips or does these things. Yes. Like plan something with one or two friends and then, you know, open it up to the group. But if not, it doesn't Whoever have to be all or it, nothing. can make it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I've had that same struggle with getting together with you know, almost all of my friends are long distance at this point. So sometimes you have to say, whoever can make it, great, let's do it. If you can't, you know, catch the next one kind of thing. Right. I I totally agree with that. And I think if like, I understand the need to kind of like, go there, talk about things, it seems like it's adding excitement into a conversation that mm-hmm. feels like otherwise, especially if you're not getting intimate, kind of like a little boring. Right. Where it's like, I don't know if I, if you're giving a surface level update on your, on your career, I could see why that would be like, not that interesting for that long or on just like the recapness of it. But I also think if there's like, and I do think there that women or my, I'll speak for myself. I, you know, you get a little rush of like excitement or drama from Mm -hmm. hearing some, you know, someone's opinion that's has a little bit more color on someone else's whatever they're doing and it does feel like a way to relate to someone and it does feel like a way to get some excitement into a conversation so i totally get that i think also like what i said in the beginning if you could get that from a shared experience of someone that you both don't know like this doesn't really have to do with you like a celebrity kind of thing, like a celebrity or an influencer or someone sort of like that doesn't feel it doesn't because i do think that it can lead to you a lack of trust too, because you're like, 
okay, we're talking about this other person, then people might be talking about me. Totally. I'm sure that they're, they are talking about this yeah. emailer because totally. everyone's talking about everyone. So like, right. if you think about it that way, you know, that doesn't feel good. So yeah. yeah, that doesn't feel good. And it's like, it's, there's a harmless aspect and there's a difference between talking shit about someone again, who's put placed themselves in the public sphere to sort of be analyzed yes. And that's part of the job or mm-hmm. that's part of the thing. Or again, they don't even know you. So it's like, I'm sure, you know, there's probably a million people who have thoughts on me that I don't, or not a million, I'm not, uh, whatever. There's probably <laughs> many people who have, right. who have thoughts on me and that's really none of my business. Right. But it is more your business when it's like your actual friends your or friends. someone that you're acting like you trust and you love. And then there feels like more of a betrayal. So I think if you have that urge to spice up the conversation by, you know, having a hot take on something. Totally. Maybe try to keep it to to people neither of you are actually like friends with. Right. Or maybe they can all like watch, you know, a show that they're all watching at the same time that they can, like you said, if they all watch Real Housewives or The Bachelor or whatever they want, and then they can all kind of bond on this, you know, gossiping about other people. I agree. That might be a better outlet for it. But I, I love the fact that she's being aware of it. I don't think it's good. When someone talks to me, poorly about somebody else that we both know, I just immediately think they're probably doing the same thing about me to mm-hmm. another person. So I, I personally don't like it. I'm glad that she's trying to change it. And some actionable steps, I think you can just make it a little bit, like give signals that you're not that into it. You can just change the topic if it comes up, or you can even defend the person. Nobody wants to, it's not that much yeah. fun to get into a shit talking person with someone who's like defending the person. That's definitely true. Takes the steam out of it a little bit. Right. Yeah. So you can do a little bit of that, which is just going to make it less fun for them. And they're probably not going to do it as much. Or you can even just say, I'd, let's, I'd rather not talk about her right now or something like that, that just gives off this signal that you're not that into it. Maybe they'll pick up the vibe, especially if you try to inject something like, oh, why don't we, there's a new season of X, Y, or Z coming out. Why don't we all watch it? So we have like something fun to talk about. Right. And if in the case where someone's actually really annoyed or riled up about someone, something's doing, you can let them just like vent. Yes. And say it without contributing to it. Yes. Or do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I can see why that might be frustrating. Maybe you should tell her that like there are construct there are ways i do think there's outlets for this where it can be constructive if there's an actual issue and it's not talking shit for the sake of talking shit right if you're working towards something that's going to make the relationship better and i do think there's a difference between just listening and participating so i think you can listen and say like you said oh that you know just let them vent it out but then you saying, oh my gosh, I know she did the same thing to me the other day. Right. And like, I, I can't stand, you know, that's very different than, yeah, yeah. that sounds really hurtful. Or um, maybe you should talk to her. I think you should talk to her about that or something that implies like, I'm not going to really just engage in total gossip here, but I yeah. am here for you. And that's another mindfulness thing to be able to like, take yourself out of the conversation and think about like, what you actually want to say, or do you actually want to be doing this? Or are you just doing it because it's comfortable and the other person, and again, it's like feels makes the person feel good for you to like dig in deeper with them or not. I think it, like you said, it's a great mindful way to look at the conversation she's having. I totally get it. I would say this is a vice of mine. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I'm you're making it relatable. And I think yeah. it's a vice for a lot of people. I think a lot of people do this, but that's why I love this question because it's really not great. It's not, it's not a great way to handle yourself 
you know, I always just think if the person was in the room right now, would I be saying this? You know, like I saw some meme or something the other day that was like, when you're talking shit so hard that you just pick up your phone just to check and make sure that it hasn't <laughs> accidentally called the person that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, it's like this panicked feeling of like, if this person heard this, it would be the end of this relationship. Right. Um, you haven't sent them the screenshot of the <laughs> screenshot that you... <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, it's relatable. I think a lot of people, and it's, I think it's an indicator, big picture. I think it's an indicator that maybe there's some vulnerability lacking in the relationship that you're not really talking and like having conversations about what you're really thinking and feeling. So that's what makes it feel boring. Yeah, I can agree with that. Okay. Well, let us know how that goes. Um, any of these tips? Summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got the most beautiful silk skirt from Quince. I am so excited to wear it. It fits amazing. It is so well-priced for the high quality it is. It looks so expensive, but it's actually quite affordable. Quince has amazing items like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, so you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash oversharing for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash oversharing to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash oversharing. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Should we play some games? Yeah, let's do Triggered. Okay. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. Huge fan of the podcast. This has quickly become my favorite, although I'm an avid listener of all the Betches podcasts. I'm actually doing a complete career change and going back to school to get a master's in counseling to align better with my interests. And these are the exact kind of conversations that I crave. Oh, great. Awesome. I have a Triggered scenario for you. My brother-in-law didn't know my last name. I got married a few weeks ago, and about a month before the wedding, my husband and I visited my husband's sister and her husband. At the time, my future sister and brother-in-law. They live about two hours from us, and we visited for the weekend. We were talking about me taking my husband's last name when my brother-in-law said, wait, what's your last name? I don't even know what it is now. 
In the moment, I just laughed and told him what it was. But deep down, I thought to myself, what the fuck? My husband and I had been together for over three years before we got married, so it's not like we had just met each other. Also, our wedding invitation with my last name on it had been hanging on their fridge when we got there, so it presumably had been displayed for a few months. I know the anger slash disappointment I felt probably had more to do with the fact that I don't feel that my sister and brother-in-law do a great job at trying to get to know me better, but I wish he had kept the comment to himself rather than admitting he didn't know my last name. I know I would be way too embarrassed to admit I didn't know someone's last name and would look it up or ask someone else what it was later like a normal person. Should I be triggered? <laughs> no name batch. All right. This is interesting. First of all, it, it, it's an interesting relationship because but, and I don't know what the truth is on this, but it's not really her brother-in-law. It's her right. sister-in-law's sister husband. husband. Yeah, I um, guess that's which, technically your brother-in-law, but is like... Is it? Okay. Tech, I, I think in the technical sense, but like the person... Like if those people got divorced, the woman would still be your sister-in-law and right. the brother-in-law, I feel like not really. Would be like not a thing. Yeah. The in-law thing, there's like so many different, you can say it's it's an annoying word because it's like you could say brother-in-law and it could mean your sister's husband or right. it could mean your spouse's sister. You know, sister. So it's an annoying word. All right. Anyway, that's besides the point. I I think I would put this pretty low. I think that what's bothering her is what she mentioned that, you know, maybe that they're not really interested in getting to know her or, you know, they're not interested in kind of like learning who she is or maybe spending time with her. I think it's more the deeper issue of that. And maybe because we have such an enormous family that like, you know, there's like a lot of I can see that happening. Names. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that happening, right. you know. So I would put this pretty low. I get that maybe she wants to feel more connected, but it's, it's actually her sister-in-law's husband um, who probably has his own side of the family. And it wasn't like he forgot her first name. He forgot her former last name. So I don't right. know. And also I think if you're not friends on social media or if like, I think social media almost like ingrains someone's last name in your like, mind. Exactly. And if you guys aren't like connected on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, I could see why he'd be like, not thinking actively. Maybe he heard it once and then wasn't thinking actively. You know what I mean? It could have, I don't think that'd be something that'd be ingrained in someone's mind unless they had seen it so frequently. Totally. I agree. Whether you're connected or not on social media, I think would make a difference because that's where you're going to see the last name. The invitation on the fridge, I almost disregard that. It's not like he's reading the invitation yeah. on the fridge. It's just sitting on the fridge. And again, I think it's like, because you don't really, she's saying she doesn't really know him that well. And because you don't really know him that well, you also don't know like if that's just like he's just not someone who's like detail oriented, super detail oriented or like that, you know, things kind of just like pass like they're maybe a little aloof. That could also just be like his personality. It could seem really personal, like it's just about you. But maybe that's just kind of what his he's a little clueless. Right. I agree. The one part that I would say is the most triggering is that he didn't have to say Yes. Oh, right. What was your last name again? Like that's almost saying like I don't really think about you that much. I didn't really think about you before. I have no idea who you are. I think it says all the things that she's concerned that it says. So I think I agree the fact that he said that out loud instead of just realizing, "Oh, I wonder what her other last name was" and like asking his wife. Yeah. I think that would have been a more socially acceptable way to handle this. Yeah, that he didn't seem to care at all that he 
he was he didn't have any shame in right. in asking right. the question is a is a tougher one. I agree with that. It's more so than the fact that he didn't actually know. So what what do you give this? I'd give it a five because I could see why that would it would be like a little insulting. It'd right. be like, oh, you actually don't really give a shit about like there's like again, there's ways of like kind of inferring that, but this is very blatant. Right. Yeah, you gave me no thought. Yeah. You don't even care if I think that you've given me any thought. <laughs> totally. That's the worst part. All right. Should we do another one? Yeah. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. I have a two for one triggered scenario for you. Backstory. I have a serious chronic illness that has left me unable to carry a pregnancy due to medications I depend on to stay alive. A guy who I was recently dating for a couple of months was often hot and cold with me. When I confronted him about this and told him that his behavior was a turnoff to me, he insisted that I was imagining things and that he'd been just been really busy recently. However, the next day he called me to tell me that he had been intentionally hot and cold with me since our one of our first few dates when he'd asked if I wanted kids and I shared that while I do want to have a family, I would have to adopt kids due to my infertility. He apparently had been hot and cold since I had shared this because he really liked me and wanted to keep seeing me, but he would never seriously date someone who couldn't have kids. I told him how offensive and hurtful this was to me, and he refused to apologize, saying that he's allowed to be honest and express his needs in a relationship. When I told my friends about this, many of them agreed with him, saying that it's fair enough to break up with someone over having different goals. One coworker even went so far as to say she would also never seriously date someone who couldn't have children. I feel like both this guy and these unsupportive friends are being extremely hurtful, especially since they all know that I want to have kids. I just physically can't. And that I've already dealt with a lot of traumatic discrimination through my lifetime due to my disability. I do understand that honesty is important and I'm happy to have figured this out about this guy sooner rather than later, but it's been months since this happened and I'm still hurt by this and worried that I won't be able to find someone because of something that I have literally no control over. Am I right to be triggered or should I just appreciate this guy and my friend's honesty? Sincerely, a betch who might need new friends. Yeah, this is really tough. I think this is obviously seems like a bigger issue than just this one guy and this one comment. It's a tough situation because I think this is something that's going to be a deal breaker for some people and it's probably hard to hear. And I think, again, talking about acceptance, I think in dating with infertility, that's a big part of it that you're going to have to find a way to accept. And I'm not saying this is easy and I hope you can get some help in it because I think it's it's a big ask is to accept the fact that this is going to be a deal breaker for some people, which is hard. And I think that's what her friends are kind of telling her. And this guy was telling her. Yeah, I think it's really tough. I think, like you said, it's going to be, not everyone is going to be equally okay with it. And I mean, there's every everyone has things that are deal breakers for some people, good or bad. I could see why this would be especially triggering because it's really a sensitive subject for her and she does want kids and it's probably feeding into some stories she's telling about telling herself that no one will want to date her or that she's taking this one person's reaction to this as a reaction that everyone will have. And while there are people who will think that, there are many people who won't. Right. So I think it's, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, I don't think that she needs to be angry at this guy because I don't think it is like something that he's doing wrong per se. I don't know how he phrased it or I don't know what the language he used to say it was. And I can see why just the fact that he, that it's a deal breaker for him would be really hurtful, but I don't necessarily, I, I think that everyone's allowed to have things that they prioritize or their own goals. And I can see why that would be 
something someone just didn't want to to go through. But I also think that there are going to be many people who won't mind that will love you just for who you are, who will be okay with this or will be okay with doing things in an alternative way. So I wouldn't take this to mean that everyone will react that way. But yeah, just like anything else in your life, like some people, it's going to be what some people are looking for, or some people it's not going to matter to them as much. And some people it is. And all you can do is be yourself and find out as soon as you can. Right. Totally. You know, I think that, first of all, I've said this before, I think adoption is like the most beautiful gift that you can give to the world. You're literally like saving someone's life and, you know, doing something really wonderful. So I think the right person is going to share in the joy of that with you and be able to see that as something that is a beautiful journey that they would like to take with someone and like to take with you. So I do think there's so much beauty in adoption. And I think that that's something that um, with the right partner, you can really do in a way that almost gives you a lot of meaning and joy in ways that having biological children can't. So I would look at that in some ways as there are wonderful things about that that you don't have when you have biological children. Obviously, there's challenges that some people don't want to take on, or even just, you know, the basics of wanting biological children. But I can understand why this is painful. But again, if you look at it like you're saying, as sort of like there's deal, like some girls won't date a guy who's not at least, you know, six foot tall. So that's a deal breaker for them, you know? So taking the sting out of this is like, okay, there are people walking around that just by virtue of their height, somebody won't date them. So this doesn't, I think just being mindful of how you're talking to yourself about this and like how you're treating yourself about this is going to be important in terms of saying, okay, this is a deal breaker for this person. And, you know, a lot of people have these types of of deal breakers. So hopefully this is something that you don't get too in your head about and thinking that, you know, she says, which understandably, but I, you know, that, that she's, you know, worried that she won't be able to find someone because of this thing that she has no control over. And I think there's a lot of aspects of dating like that where people will just not date someone because they like blondes or not date someone because they like someone that's tall or they have to make a certain amount of money or whatever it is. So this is a tough one. And I do think that eventually, hopefully with some therapy, and I can understand, you know, this is the exact type of thing that, you know, you could probably get some help with is coming to terms with it for yourself and accepting it for yourself fully so that when other people don't accept you, it takes the sting out of it a little bit because you've kind of come to terms with it on your own. And maybe she has. And if so, that's great. And I'm not saying these things are not going to hurt at all when they happen, but it might be a little bit quicker recovery if she can get to a place where she's like, this is something that, you know, this is my journey and something that I'm excited about. And I'm just looking for someone who's would be excited to do it with me. I agree with that whole assessment. I think that puts it into perspective really well. But yeah, this is tough. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, I'm sure that there are more people than you realize out there that can relate to this type of, you know, dating with infertility is something that is not easy. Yeah, definitely a struggle. I would give this pretty high. I could see why this would be very triggering. Yeah, totally. I'd give it like an eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's an interesting that like it's super triggering, but like I don't think anyone did anything wrong. You yeah. Know? No, I agree. I, I don't think there's like a villain in this. Again, assuming that he shared his thoughts with her in a very sensitive and like respectful and like nice way, 
which we don't have context for. But assuming that was done, I don't think that it's almost this person is doing something good for you by letting you know that earlier and not wasting any of your time. Totally. Or more of your time. Right. But it doesn't doesn't make it feel much better. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's do one more. All right, I'll read this one. Dear Dr. Naomi and Jordana, a few years ago, I decided to go to therapy because I was constantly seeking out red flags when dating and wanted to unpack why I was so hyper-focused on the negative. I ended up booking an introduction appointment with two therapists. When I went to the first one, we had a fine appointment, but I wasn't sure if she would push me enough, so I kept my appointment with the second therapist. A couple of minutes into the session with my second therapist, she asked me what my age was. I told her I was 26. She then proceeded to lightly giggle and say, aren't you a bit young to be in therapy? So weird. So weird. (laughs) I honestly had no idea how to respond. I started to defend myself, explaining a couple of my childhood traumas I'd like to unpack. Mom with brain cancer, dad dying in front of me, all that good stuff. But this had already put me in a state of closing up. As someone who overshares about everything but what truly hurts, this was not an approach that worked well for me. Whenever I look back on it, I still feel very triggered. Is this as triggering as I think it is? It felt like she was negging me, which is the opposite of what I expected from a therapist. Needless to say, this was a deal breaker for me, and I decided to go with the first therapist. Her more gentle, nurturing approach turned out to be just what I needed. I'm so glad that this podcast exists and gives a view into what therapy can be like. Thanks for all you do. Too young for therapy. I think that's such a weird comment to make, especially by a therapist, but for anyone. I mean, there are many children who are in therapy. Right. Like like three. The age two. Yeah. Right. To me, it's like the earlier, the better. Like, Yeah. You know, know, I think Uh, what might have happened here, and this is, I get it, that comment in and of itself is just so strange. But what I think what might have happened is she went in and started talking about how to date differently or why, you know, she was focusing on the negative when she was dating. And so maybe saying something, maybe she said something along lines of like, I'm afraid I'm not going to meet anyone. I keep ruling out all these guys. And then she said, well, I'm 26. And I think maybe what the therapist meant to say is, aren't you a bit young to be stressing about when you're going to get married? Even that comment is like annoying, but maybe it was more not that she's in therapy, but that she was so worried about meeting someone at the age of 26. I don't, that's the only thing I can think of because the comment in and of itself is so absurd. It like almost doesn't even idea. make any sense. Right. Right. Being too yeah. young for therapy at 26. I could see if someone brought in like an 18 month old and said, right. like, I want them to get therapy. You might say they're a little young for therapy. But even that, you even see that, that sometimes. Even, yeah. even that, but like- right. At 26, I can't imagine that she really meant that she's too young to be in therapy. The only thing I can think of is that she meant like, maybe you're too young to be like stressing about meeting a person, but that's a little ridiculous too. Right. I, this this is, I don't know if I would say triggering because it doesn't, I guess it's tr- it is triggering for her because she did have all this deep stuff that she has trouble opening up about. And it was almost like closing the door before she was even able to go there, which I could see right. being like, okay, now I'm not even trying anymore. Like I went here, I'm trying to like do this thing that's uncomfortable for me. And this woman's kind of kicking me out. 
Yeah, I mean, good good for her that like she made multiple appointments, that she was doing her due diligence, that she found someone. I mean, to me, it's more like, let's say you were right, and it really was just about her saying, you know, you're just like, you're so young, you don't need to be like worried about that thing. That's clearly not the approach she wanted, even if it was in the best yes. case. It's not a match for her. And again, I don't, I could, maybe it's the triggering, cause it clearly was triggering because in some way she has anxiety about the fact that she's someone who now has to go to therapy. To me, that that's indicative of that. The fact that she's triggered totally. by that statement is like she has some shame in the idea of going to therapy. Because if she didn't, if she didn't believe that at all, I don't think she would find it that offensive. Right. Totally. And as a therapist, I, I wonder if this was like an early career therapist. As a therapist, I, I get a lot of people who come in and they talk about some stuff where it seems like they're coming in, like I give them time and I ask the questions to help unpack why they're really there. A lot of people, like this woman describes herself, you know, someone who overshares about everything but what truly hurts. And she's not alone in that. A lot of people do that. They come, they know they need therapy, they get themselves in the door, but there's some really painful stuff that they're, no, they're not ready to start talking about that in the first session with a stranger. And I get that as a therapist, that there's stuff that's there that's going to have to come out gradually as we develop rapport and as we get a closer relationship. I've had people that, you know, have big issues that, you know, only have the courage to disclose after we've been in therapy for several months. So I think as a therapist, you have to be aware that a lot of times what people come in and start talking about on their first session isn't really what's the underlying issue. That's just what the thing is that they're comfortable talking about. And I think that that's an important thing for a therapist to realize is I'm a stranger. You know, you probably don't even talk about this with your best friends and your parents and your family. So I have to give you a little bit of time to open up and get to what's really bothering you. So I do feel badly that she was turned off by this person who wasn't patient with her as she was going through this. But look, I guess the silver lining is it was a crash course in her probably coming out to this therapist in the first session and being like, here's what I'm dealing with. My mom has brain cancer. I watched my father die. I have childhood trauma. Like it was almost a, a helped her speedily get to the root of her issues by having to kind of defend herself to this therapist. She could take all that information, go to the first therapist and actually probably do some good work with it. Right. Clearly with approach that's an approach that's a better match for her personality also. Right. But yeah, I could see that be like a weird triggering comment to make. So I would, I would give it a high grade. I think it's like a six or seven. Yeah, I would give, I definitely would go towards the seven because she's, she's been through so much. She's like, yeah, sorry, I'm not talking about like watching my father die within the first 10 minutes of meeting you, you know, like, right. That, yeah. Yeah. It's a rude comment to make. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I think that's it for today's session. Thank you for your help with my sleep ang- with my sleep anxiety. Yeah, hope tr- just try it. There's a couple of things, a couple of pieces of homework. If you can't okay. sleep, especially if you don't have anything that you really need to be like up and at them for, just pretend you're in a, you know those um they have those like I forget what it's called, like those float rooms. No. It's like a you go into like body temperature water and it's like a, a sensory deprivation tank. You've never heard of this thing? It sounds familiar. 
I've actually never done it, but I've heard about it. It's like a sensory deprivation tank where basically you go and you lay in like body temperature water and it's completely silent and completely dark and you just remove all stimulation and it's supposed to just be very relaxing because you're like removing all external stimulation. Mm -hmm. So if you could almost look at that moment when you're lying in bed and you can't sleep as like, this is an experience that you can, you know, make into something positive by just like lying there and enjoying the moment of the peace and quiet and mindfulness of like, it's a moment to get to know your mind instead of like being judgmental or critical of your mind. Like, where is my mind going? Oh, it's going there. Okay. Do I like that? Uh, Not really. Maybe I'll just kind of, turn back to my breath or notice the sensation of the sheets in front of me. The other thing that I've heard as tip, as a tip when you're really talking about sleep deprivation, I mean, sleep difficulty is to like get up and leave the room if you're not sleeping. Yeah, so I've that's like that an one. alternative, mm-hmm. um, like get up, go somewhere else, right. like wait till you get tired and then come back to the bed. Yeah. That always feels like I'm giving up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> which I guess in some ways yeah. is in line with what I'm saying, which is like either accept it and lie there and enjoy it. But if Mm -hmm. you're like resisting and resisting and resisting, you might as well get up. up. Yeah. So your homework is one to try either one or two of those tactics if you can't sleep. And then 10 breaths in a cold shower, breathe into it, see if it helps you kind of like release your resistance a little bit. Okay. I'm going to work on that. I'll let you know in our next session how that goes. Sounds good. I think that's our time. Great work today. Oversharing is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge morales Pico, and Rebecca Salz mccann Editing by Basilio Perez. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Send your advice emails to oversharing at Betches.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-363-6294. Thank you to our sponsor, First Response. A lot of us test more than once. That's why First Response created the Triple Check Pregnancy Test Kit, which includes three different tests all in one box. The kit includes the early results pregnancy test, one digital pregnancy test, plus one rapid result pregnancy test that gives you fast results in just one minute on the day of your missed period or any day thereafter. Each test in the kit offers a different way to learn your results so when the time comes, you feel as confident as possible. All First Response pregnancy test products are available for purchase at all major retailers in-store and online. Be sure to pick one up today. Betches.